Greetings. Thank you all for returning to this week's new study episode titled, You Will Surely Die. I am Pastor John, welcoming all our returning international audience. We also extend a warm welcome to all our new listeners here for the first time. Thank you all for listening. Before we start, I want to mention our website now has two new pages, one for audiograms as I start to work on this new item. Right now, format is in the rethinking stage for the next one to post for next week. I have also posted several phone numbers for getting help with the issues of life with the international prefix for those outside the United States. There is also two websites for crisis management, one for veterans of the military and one for the rest of us. More details follow at the end of this episode. Last week, in our episode, Descendants, Too Numerous to Count, we found that the book of Genesis is correct. The stars and grains of sand are too numerous to count. We examined the math and science behind both endeavors and found that our best attempt today can only offer counts that are certainly magnitudes less than what is actually there. So I also took a look at the world population in an attempt to count the actual descendants just since Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We also ran into the issues of coming up dramatically short in our counting attempt. Yes, their descendants are indeed too numerous to count. In this episode, we read that God said, If Adam ate the forbidden fruit, he would surely die. When reading that statement, we read it with a sense of immediacy. In other words, you eat, you die. Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 through 17 reads, Then the Lord God commanded the man, You may freely eat fruit from every tree of the orchard, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will surely die. However, it is well documented, Adam lived 930 years. This is a presumed contradiction in God's own words. If God contradicted himself, then all the Bible is a lie. This means, We need to unwrap the underlying paradox. God is true to his word, so there is no contradiction here. Only a seeming conundrum, a paradox of evidence that we do not see at first read. We will also see that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was put there for a real purpose not to just provide a way for Adam and Eve to simply choose whether or not to follow God or to fall in the temptation eventually presented to them. Putting Adam in the garden to maintain it means he was created for good works of which were limited to the good work of maintaining God's creation. 
Today, the Garden of Eden is, in many ways, symbolic of our church. We are all responsible for tending it and tending to it in love. The love by which we are to be known by. We will also see that what happened in the fall of man was far more encompassing than just the simple spiritual death that many ascribe, then leave further unexplored. That seems a right thing to do. However, one thing I was never taught was the purpose for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, as some Bible translations render its name. The prohibition here set forth by God was a lot more than giving man the mere freedom of choice and self-will to restrain himself by obeying God and his word. This becomes much more clear when you understand God's purpose behind the forbidden fruit. Quoting, After the preparation of the garden in Eden, God placed the man there to dress it and to keep it not merely expresses removal thither, but the fact that the man was placed there to lead a life of repose, not indeed in activity, but in fulfillment of the course assigned him, which was very different from the trouble and restlessness of the weary toil into which he was plunged by sin. In paradise he was to dress the garden, for the earth was meant to be tended and cultivated by man, so that without human culture, plants and even the different varieties of corn degenerate and grow wild. Cultivation therefore preserved the divine plantation, not merely from injury on the part of any evil power, either penetrating into or already existing in the creation, but also from running wild through natural degeneracy. As nature was created for man, it was his vocation not only to ennoble it by his work, to make it subservient to himself, but also to raise it into the sphere of the spirit and further its glorification. This applied not merely to the soul beyond the limits of paradise, but to the garden itself, which, although the most perfect portion of the terrestrial creation, was nevertheless susceptible of development, and which was allotted to man, in order that by his care and culture he might make it into a transparent mirror of the glory of the Creator. From Kyle and Delich Bible Commentary on the Old Testament. Notice the last part of the last sentence in that commentary in order that by his, his meaning man, Adam, in order that by his care and culture he might make it into a transparent mirror of the glory of the Creator. Are we not such caretakers of God's gospel, the good news of salvation? Are we not also such caretakers of his church? his body of which we are a part? Are we not also duly charged to care for it and by saving others cause it to grow in the way commentary said of Eden? Commentary also said, 
but also to raise it into the sphere of the Spirit and further its glorification. That would be the result of loving care for God's church. Is this not the object of the gospel? The good news of salvation in raising up saints of God out of the death of sin? Every time someone is saved by our sharing the gospel with them, if it causes them to receive Christ as Lord and Savior, we have raised the dead unto life and life eternal. Are we not raising others into the sphere of the Spirit for their further godly glorification, such as when they receive their glorified body at the rapture, when we raise them from the dead of sin? This is the symbolism I see in relating the church, God's body of full believers, to the Garden of Eden. Both need to be tended and attended to cultivated for proper growth and sustainability so the fruit of the gospel can further spread as the good work we are created for doing. Admittedly, tending each in different ways with respect to each, but either is a garden to tend and attend to. In light of that, let's reread commentary and changing it so the references are changed to refer to the church of full believers instead. With those changes, that passage in commentary would now read, In this present life we are to dress the church, for the church was meant to be tended and cultivated by God's saints, so that without spiritual culture, individual believers degenerate and grow wild or backslide. Cultivation therefore preserved the divine plantation in the heart, soul, in mind, not merely from injury on the part of any evil power, either penetrating into or already existing in daily life, but also from running wild through natural degeneracy. This is why many churches in America are the way they are. They are growing wild and degenerating into sanitized religious ivory towers. As a result, People with very real and difficult problems are asked to go somewhere else until they get professional help, until they get their act together. Where is God's love in that? Where is the love of which we are to be known by in that? Let us now look at the purpose of the two trees, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Quoting, here, too, the man was to commence his own spiritual development. To this end, God had planted two trees in the midst of the Garden of Eden, the one to train his spirit through the exercise of obedience to the Word of God, and the other to transform his earthly nature into the spiritual essence of eternal life. These trees received their names from their relation to man, that is to say, from the effect which the eating of their fruit was destined to produce upon human life and its development. The fruit of the tree of life conferred the power of eternal immortal life, and the tree of knowledge was planted to lead men 
to the knowledge of good and evil. The knowledge of good and evil was no mere experience of good and ill, but a moral element in that spiritual development through which the man created in the image of God was to attain to the filling out of that nature which had already been planned in the likeness of God. The power to distinguish good and evil is commended as the gift of a king and the wisdom of angels, and in the highest sense is ascribed to God himself. Reference Genesis chapter 3, verses 5 and 22. From Kyle and Delich Bible Commentary on the Old Testament. Does the discussion between the serpent and the woman make a bit more sense now? Now the serpent was more shrewd than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Is it really true that God said, You must not eat from any tree of the orchard? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit from the trees of the orchard. But concerning the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the orchard, God said, You must not eat from it, and you must not touch it, or else you will die. The serpent said to the woman, Surely you will not die, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like divine beings who know good and evil. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Can you see how impressively shrewd the serpent was? How not only the woman was tempted, but reasoned with and lied to. There is also truth in the mouth of the serpent woven with lies for the sole purpose of not just temptation, but deception through the construing of what Adam was told by God and obviously had passed on to Eve. By her own words here in this chapter 3 passage, she knows the real truth. Remember what commentary just said. The knowledge of good and evil was no mere experience of good and ill, but a moral element in that spiritual development through which the man created in the image of God was to attain to the filling out of that nature which had already been planned in the likeness of God. Quoting, Why then did God prohibit man from eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil with the threat that, as soon as he ate thereof, he would surely die? Are we to regard the tree as poisonous and suppose that some fatal property reside in the fruit? A supposition which so completely ignores the ethical nature of sin is neither warranted by the antithesis nor by what is said in Genesis chapter 3, verse 22 of the tree of life, nor by the fact that the eating of the forbidden fruit was actually the cause of death. Even in the case of the tree of life, the power is not to be sought in the physical character of the fruit. No earthly fruit possesses the power to give immortality to the life which it helps to sustain. 
Life is not rooted in man's corporeal nature, but was in the spiritual nature that it had its origin, and from this it derives its stability and permanence also. It may, indeed, be brought to an end through the destruction of the body, but it cannot be exalted to perpetual duration, i.e., to immortality, through its preservation and sustenance. And this applies quite as much to the original nature of man as to man after the fall. A body formed from earthly materials could not be essentially immortal. It would, of necessity, either be turned to earth and fall into dust again, or be transformed by the Spirit into the immortality of the soul. The power which transforms corporeal reality into immortality is spiritual in its nature and could only be imparted to the earthly tree or its fruit through the word of God, through a special operation of the Spirit of God, an operation which we can only picture to ourselves as sacramental in its character, rendering earthly elements and receptacles and vehicles of celestial powers. God had given such a sacramental nature and sacrifice to the two trees in the midst of the garden that their fruit could and would produce supersensual, mental, and spiritual effects upon the nature of the first human pair. From Kyle and Delich Bible Commentary on the Old Testament As unfallen beings, it is clear we were to be in a much different way a way that in this life could even sound totally foreign to us now, in this here and now. One that we are yet to attain to when we are finally in our newly glorified bodies, standing in the presence of God. Notice what commentary said. Are we to regard the tree as poisonous and suppose that some fatal property reside in its fruit? a supposition which so completely ignores the ethical nature of sin is neither warranted by the antithesis or by what is said in Genesis chapter 3, verse 22 of the tree of life, nor by the fact that the eating of the forbidden fruit was actually the cause of death. Hence, the essence of the shrewd temptation of the serpent he had to have knowledge of this while Adam and Eve did not. The given here for Adam and Eve was the forbidden fruit was for a proper course in moral and especially spiritual growth. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now, those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Galatians chapter 5 verses 22 through 24. 
It is not without design, evidently, that the apostle uses the word, quote, spirit, end quote, here as denoting that these things do not flow from our own nature. The vices above, in the immediate verses preceding Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 24, enumerated are the proper works or result of the operations of the human heart. The virtues which he enumerates are produced by a foreign influence, the agency of the Holy Spirit. Hence, Paul does not trace them to our own hearts, even when renewed. He says that they are to be regarded as the proper result of the Spirit's operations on the soul. From Barnes New Testament Notes not of nature or man's free will, as corrupted by sin, for no good fruit springs from thence, but either of the internal principles of grace, called the Spirit, Galatians chapter 5, verse 17, or rather of the Holy Spirit, as the Ethiopic version reads it, the graces of which are called fruit and not, quote, works, end quote, as the actions of the flesh are, because they are owing to divine influence, efficacy, and bounty, as the fruits of the earth are, to which the allusion is, and not to a man's self, to the power and principles of nature, and because they arise from a seed, either the incorruptible seed of internal grace, which seminally contains all graces in it, or the blessed spirit who is the seed that remains in believers, and because they are in the exercise of them acceptable unto God through Christ, and are grateful and delightful to Christ himself, being, quote, his pleasant fruits, end quote, which as they come from him, as the author of them, they are exercised on him as the object of them under the influence of the Spirit. And because they are profitable to them that are possessed of them, seeing the promise of this life and that which is to come is annexed to them, and the good works which are done in consequence of them are profitable to men. Once more, as the works of the flesh are the unfruitful works of darkness, and make men so, and therefore cannot be called fruit properly. From the New John Gill's Exposition of the Entire Bible. This connects us to the fruit in the garden. You may have thought, how can that be? We will examine this a bit further to better see this great connection. Quoting, The tree of life was to impart the power of transformation into eternal life. The tree of knowledge was to lead man to the knowledge of good and evil, and, according to divine intention, this was to be attained through his not eating of its fruit. This end 
was to be accomplished not only by his discerning in the limit imposed by the prohibition the difference between that which accorded with the will of God and that which opposed it, but also by his coming eventually through obedience to the prohibition to recognize the fact that all that is opposed to the will of God is an evil to be avoided, and through voluntary resistance to such evil, to the full development of the freedom of choice originally imparted to him into the actual freedom of a deliberate and self-conscious choice of good. By obedience to the divine will, he would have attained to a godlike knowledge of good and evil, i.e., to one in accordance with his own likeness to God. He would have detected the evil in the approaching tempter, but instead of yielding to it, he would have resisted it, and thus have made good his own property acquired with consciousness and of his own free will, and in this way, by proper self-determination, would gradually have advanced to the possession of the truest liberty. But as he failed to keep his divinely appointed way, and ate the forbidden fruit in opposition to the command of God, the power imparted by God to the fruit was manifested in a different way. He learned the difference between good and evil from his own guilty experience, and by receiving the evil into his own soul, fell a victim to the threatened death. Thus, through his own fault, the tree, which should have helped him to attain true freedom, brought nothing but the sham liberty of sin, and with it death, and without any demonical power of destruction being conjured into the tree itself, or any fatal poison being hidden in its fruit. From Kyle and Delich Bible Commentary on the Old Testament if you remember from last week's episode, Descendants, too numerous to count, obedience was the key to the promise of the Sovereign Lord making the promise to Abram, Abraham, and Isaac. Obedience is the main key to it all. Notice what Galatians also says, For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity to indulge your flesh, but through love serve one another. Galatians chapter 5 verse 13 It is needful to guard the doctrine from abuse at all times. There has been a strong tendency, as the history of the church has shown, to abuse the doctrines of grace. The doctrine that Christians are free, that there is liberty to them from restraint, has been perverted always by antinomans, and 
been made the occasion of their indulging freely in sin, and the result has shown that nothing was more important than to guard the doctrine of Christian liberty and to show exactly what Christians are freed from and what laws are still binding on them. All is, therefore, at great pains to show that the doctrines which he had maintained did not lead to licentiousness and did not allow the indulgence of simple and corrupt passions. From Barnes New Testament Notes A brief side note. Antinomian means one who denies the fixed meaning or universal applicability of moral law. I will close with this final thought from Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. What shall we say then? Are we to remain in sin so that grace may increase? Absolutely not! How can we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that as many as were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too may live a new life. Please go to our website found at unchurched.site123.me to learn more about getting help under the helplines menu item. These helpline numbers are places where you can get help for many of life's issues. If you feel you cannot trust the church, feel they cannot connect with you, or they have told you to go away until you get better, then one of these helplines may be just the place to start looking for help. We have also created an audiograms menu item where a brief audio file can be played to give you an upcoming look into our next episode to be posted at our usual regular posting day and time. Next week, we will start our new series titled, It is the Love. Our first episode is titled, He First Loved Us. Being Valentine's Day is coming, and many around the world are focused on showing their love and appreciation to their beloved other. I think it is also appropriate, at this time, to delve into God's love for us and how we, too, are to love each other. Play or download next week's episode from one of our podcast hosts or follow direct links to these platforms on our website under the podcast menu item. Details follow. This study podcast is a wholly self-funded outreach presented by the Church of the Unchurched. Currently an all-electronic, Boston-based outreach uniting the community of lost, searching, lonely, and forgotten in Christ. We greatly appreciate serving our international audience. God bless you all. If you are visiting for the first time, welcome and God bless you. We look forward to the return of all our faithful listeners and new listeners. Thank you all so much. Please share our podcast with family, friends, and others you believe would find it a blessing. If you are unsaved, 
We truly hope you find God as well as receiving Him as Lord and Savior of your life. Please find a short link to our episode titled, How to Be Saved, at the bottom of any episode description. To learn more about us and who we are, give our episode titles, Introduction, About Us, Who We Are, a listen. In that episode, you will learn more about us, who we are reaching out to, our mission, vision, ministry, and more. Again, a short link to this episode is found at the bottom of any episode description. For more information, check out our mobile, tablet, and desktop compliant website. It is a subdomain hosted at site123.com. That is site123.com. Our site link is unchurched.site123.me. This website is where you will find additional information about us and the podcast platforms we are in syndication with. Find direct links to all our platforms under the podcast menu item. This year, we have decided to go with making Pinecast our primary host as we move away from Podomatic. For more information, listen to our year-end update for 2019. Until then, we will continue to post our podcast on our current primary host found at this short link, is.gd forward slash uppercase i k lowercase l uppercase y x lowercase s. Our RSS feed is syndicated on many popular podcast platforms. Please use the search phrase Church of the Un-Churched to find us on a podcast platform like iTunes, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, or Spotify, to name a few. Please use the dash symbol and not the word dash when you search for us. We refresh our RSS feed with every weekly episode upload on Sundays, U.S. East Coast time. These sites update our feed within 24 hours of our refresh. If Podomatic has any server issues, all linked episodes on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn, and Stitcher will be unavailable for the duration of the server downtime. We therefore post all episodes on our backup host, www.podcasts.com. That is podcast with an S. Again, our site address is www.podcasts.com or go to anchor.fm forward slash unchurched. Now to him who is able to strengthen you, to the only wise God, through Jesus Christ, be glory forever. Amen. Until next week, this is Pastor John for the Church of the Unchurched.